it was actually just more based on money. Um, figuring out when I could get money to reproduce a lot of them at a grander scale. So what I did is I made them by hand, started selling them online, till I got enough money to buy a 3D printer so I could 3D print them around the clock. I couldn't afford to have the balls filled with gel, so I would still fill them by hand, drive up to Longmont to the only welder that could weld them shut and make them look nice. And so I would do that weekly, and I was sleeping under my 3D printer at the time so I could produce enough to keep up with demand. Welcome to Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This show is for people who love Colorado and who are fascinated with stories of Colorado companies and their leaders. Success looks different here. Our lives are multidimensional, and that's why the tagline is Live, Work, Love, Colorado. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Matt Heider, founder and CEO of Recoup Fitness, a success story that intrigues so many of us, a guy who failed many times before creating and marketing a super successful product. Recoup makes the Cryosphere a cold massage therapy ball for soothing workout soreness. This company last year did 850,000 in sales, and this year I'm just going to let Matt explain the number for that because the sales are huge uh, going forward. And the company just released a new product that's taking off fast. And one of the things that's cool about this product is that it integrates technology from one of my past guests, Sean Neville, who's the CEO of Boa Technologies. So there's a lot to talk about. Matt, thanks for being here on Proco 360. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, Let's start with um, sort of the brief story of Recoup Fitness. Yeah. So I grew up an athlete. Uh, did every sport under the sun, uh, was really good at Taekwondo and rugby. And I wanted to keep doing those sports. Um, and during my journey, I actually, uh, failed at four different businesses, Mm. fell in love with, but I fell in love with the process during it. And I think like the biggest lesson I learned was create for yourself, not others, Mm -hmm. because you fully will understand the problems. And so I looked at, looked back and athletics and sports was always in my life and staying healthy. And so I was able to change, turn that passion into a reality mm. through recoup of starting with an $8 prototype. Yeah. So explain what the, the cryosphere is, because that's really the core of the business, right? Explain yeah. what that product is about. Yeah. So the cryosphere is a stainless steel ball filled with cooling gel. You place it in the freezer for two hours and it'll stick hold up to six. Use the ball outside the handle to recoup injuries such as plantar fasciitis, calves, hamstrings, hips, and lower back. So you roll it around on the surface of your skin exactly, and, and it has a cooling therapeutic effect, right? Yep, exactly. So I wanted to replace ice cups, um, foam rollers, and lacrosse balls with one product because that's what I grew up on mm. and was able to achieve that goal. What is the process of making a prototype as you know it now? Um, it's very, very challenging, but I think it's the funnest part. Um, yeah, with the $8 prototype, I got an iron ball from China, drilled a hole in it, and got cooling gel that you find um, in like ice packs, yeah. took that out, filled the ball with the syringe and got a sprinkler cap just to represent mm-hmm. <laughs> from Home Depot yeah. to represent what I wanted it to look like and get feedback on that. And I think the coolest part about the prototyping phase is the prototype more or less will suck. But mm-hmm. as long as you can get the concept of what it does across yeah. and get feedback, I think that was the funnest part. Yeah, but so many entrepreneurs will create a prototype and they want to get feedback. And then they go to their friends and their family and say, what do you think? And their friends and family say, you're awesome. You're the smartest guy in the world, right? So did you go to friends and family or did you go more broadly out to the market? Oh, absolutely not. Um, I did not want to go to, back to friends and family because they are going to give you the advice that you yeah, just yeah, mentioned. Yeah. So I went to um, Rob Van Valkenbra, who's over at Chauncey Billups uh, D1, 
that help start that for mm. feedback. And then as Denver, as well as Denver sports recovery, they recover a lot of the Broncos and mm. they of course hated the $8 prototype, but yeah. love the concept. Really? Yeah. And I thought that was like the best feedback. Some of the best trainers in Colorado that are at the highest level yeah. loved it. And they would tell me I was a nobody mm. to them yeah. if it worked or it didn't work. Wow. And so you're getting strong feedback. What's what then happens? Cause there's a lot of listeners that like want to have this invention. They want to prototype it. And one of my past guests I thought about too, is the guy who started pop sockets. You know, this little thing, he's a philosophy yep. professor in Boulder and, and going from, an initial concept saying, this is what I want it to be, to being a product that actually is what you want it to be. That's part of the prototyping process too, right? Yep. So how did you get from the initial thing that you created to the one that you were going to produce? Um, it was a lot of testing, but luckily now with like 3D printers and everything else, you can easily do one-off samples and to see and change the design and do all of that. But I didn't have a lot of money at the time. Yeah. So I only had enough to get one 3D print and did a bunch of research on how can I reproduce this at a lower cost from so I can run about one to a hundred units of this. And so I actually taught myself cast molding hmm. um, where I mixed chemicals in my parents' basement and made the handle plastic and still filled the balls all by hand um, and got them welded. Wow. So you well did you well you took them to a welder to do that? Yeah. So these were your prototypes, the next gen from what you had purchased and drilled a hole in. Now you're welding metal balls and casting plastic. Yep. And, and it was really funny to see the process of that. My, wow. my parents laugh at it. Oh, well, you didn't blow up the basement. That's why they're laughing. <laughs> but I mean, so how many of those did you make before you felt like you had something that you could then take to a, a, a manufacturer? Um, it was actually just more based on money, um, figuring out when I could get money to reproduce a lot of them at a grander scale. Yeah. So what I did is I made them by hand, started selling them online till mm -hmm. I got enough money to buy a 3d printer so I could 3d print them around the clock. Well, so the, the handle itself is plastic. Yeah. That's being 3d printed. Yep. And then you're, you're outsourcing the, the ball itself. Yeah, so I couldn't afford to have the balls filled with gel, so I would still fill them by hand, drive up to Longmont to the only welder that could weld them shut and make them look nice. Wow. And so I would do that weekly, and I was sleeping under my 3D printer at the time so I could produce enough to keep up with demand. Wow, so every time, so that way you could set your alarm, and when, they, when the plastic ran out or whatever, you could refill it and go back to sleep for whatever? Yep. So how many were you talking? How many were you making at that time? Um, so the cast molding, I easily made three to four hundred of them, mm -hmm. um, and then the three D printer was probably close to a thousand. Ended up breaking the three D printer, wow, because I just didn't have money and I wanted to get the concept out there, mm -hmm. and it was new to me. And so I figured out the way to wow. slowly progress into manufacturing, and that was the best lesson yeah. I think I've learned through all of this was learning all the different phases of how to make mm -hmm. the product and the different designs helped really with the manufacturing process. Well, how many, how much money would you say you had in sales before you were able to go out and outsource the entire manufacturing process? Um, it was about $6,000 in sales. That's it. Yeah. You couldn't come up with 6,000 bucks to begin with and just go do it. Well, at that time I actually took out student loan money to start the business because <laughs> I wanted to make sure that the concept was there before yeah. I took well, you, this risk. Well, you'd already failed four other times, right? Yep. So so you had 6000 in sales, and that's when you decided, okay, it's worth paying for molds. It's worth outsourcing. What was your initial order? Uh, initial order was 2,500 units, which mm. was actually very, very difficult. How much was that? It ended up being like $50,000. Wow. 
Wow, between that's a bit mold, of a leap. Yeah, between the mold costs, all of that, because yeah. you can't do manufacturing on a big scale. It's only on big scale. You yeah. can't do it on yeah. a tiny that's scale. That's pretty small. So your cost of goods, you, were you even making a profit at 2,500 units? I was not. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. losing money on each one, Yeah, but it was it definitely like taught me a lot during that process of how different molds work and all of mm. that. It's like a big learning experience. Where'd you, where'd you have these made? Um, so they were made the, in China. The but, first 2,500? Yep. And so we worked with a local company here that could source because I didn't know how to source or uh-huh. anything like that. So they were, ba- it's called Fathom. They're based out in California. Mm. And so they made the molds for us and they helped us along with that process. So they were great for that. How did you know that when you shipped, got this first order done in China, that it was going to be functionally what you believed it ought to be based on all of these other steps you've taken? I had no clue. Really? I just took, I just took the leap and did as much research as possible into the manufacturers, mm. seeing what they produced. And you kind of just have to jump and just mm. say, all right, let's see if this works. And that's why I think you should run things very small to uh-huh. see quality and test all of mm. that. What, what was your experience when you got that first batch in? Was it what you expected? It was not um, because <laughs> uh, one thing we didn't account for was the fact that plastic heats up and then when it cools down, it shrinks and you can't really actually determine the exact number, how much it's going to shrink by. So some of our handles were too small and some of the balls were too big. So some of them didn't actually even work out of that wow. 2,500, about 500 didn't. So that's another cost you incurred total waste. You couldn't sell those. I did actually, which is pretty cool. Um, so through, <laughs> well, it depends on how the story goes, whether it was cool. Yeah. So I had to eat it on the handles, but, um, plantar fasciitis was a huge market for us. Yeah. So I sold the balls individually without with, the, without the handles <laughs> and recouped a lot of that money. Wow. So that was a big, that was a big savior, saver that, of that. That's really, okay. So you, you you went from producing a few at a time, sleeping under your printer to making a big step to go to 2,500 units. What was the next step? The next step was um, placing our big our big PO at the time for twenty thousand units, and now we're placing POs for hundred plus thousand units. Wow! Well, a hundred thousand units at a time. Yep, that's a huge step. Yeah, it is. Uh, so when you start going from twenty five hundred and you're starting, how did you start selling those? Was that online with some kind of ad? Yeah, so it was just online. Um, just would reach out to people through cold email because I didn't understand. I didn't have enough money to actually online market. So cold email, cold called, got people to purchase, hmm. um, and then was lucky enough to get the forty ers to purchase. How'd you get the forty ers to be a huge like your first big name client? Um, being a pain in the butt and perseverance. Come on. So what I did is I emailed an investor named Courtney Rem. Um, told him I was, uh, always out in California trying to get his investment. Um, and he randomly said, he's like, I've got like 30 minutes on a Friday. If you're in town, let me know. So to me, that was a yes. I like any, yeah. maybe was a yes. Flew out to California, pitched him. He loved the product. Mm. And then, um, he gave me a hundred, hundred dollars on the spot. I was like, give me three and I'll bring it up to the 49ers. And then came back to Colorado, made them. And these were the 3D printed ones yeah. at the time, made sure they were the best I could make them. And then sent him $120 back and said, here's a return on your investment already. Huh. And at the time I only had like $300 in the bank account. Wow. If that, he brought him up there. And then I called the CEO, Jed York, every single day for three weeks. And then his assistant finally called me back and I did some research about her. And she loved calla lilies and her favorite color was purple. 
So I sent her cow lilies with purple roses and got on his schedule. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yep. And then when they were coming here to play the Broncos during preseason, I uh, pitched the whole training staff and mm. like Colin Kaepernick was using it at the time and Reggie Bush and wow. they loved it and they actually bought him on the spot. Really? That's amazing. Yeah. So when we come back, I'm going to, I'm going to take a quick break here. When we come back, I'm going to ask you what impact that had on your sales. But I want to remind first uh, the listeners that this is Proco 360 and I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Matt Heider of Recoup Fitness. And this is a great time to thank our sponsors, Community Banks of Colorado, MicroStar Keg Logistics, and Kinsley Meetings. These great service companies support Colorado businesses and entrepreneurs, and they support this show. Thanks also to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support for me and Proco 360. And so getting back to this 49ers and Broncos, I mean, what impact do, do those kind of customers have on your ability to sell a product? Um, it actually has less than you think. Um, it's just more about the brand building, hmm. but it made me drop out of college my last semester, of my senior year. Wow. Yep. And I, my teacher failed me in this business, which was really funny because she didn't believe I had a check from the 49ers. Oh, um, so I dropped out and just realized if, if anything, it put the confidence in me that this is something big because people work their entire lives in the sports industry to get pro teams to purchase. Yeah. And they're our first client. Like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Mm. I have to go for it. Wow. So you had failed four times before at other businesses. I'm not going to go into all those. But at what point in this path did you look at yourself in the mirror and say, wow, I, I'm i not failing this time? Um, <laughs> I would say <laughs> it happened when I was working at nights at a bar and running the business during a day. So I could fund the business through my other job. And I just knew that something was different. It was just something in my gut mm. and how hard and willing I was to work for it. I was like, I will not let this fail due to lack of work. Mm. And I was like the 49ers. And we started getting a lot more pro athletes um, turning onto the product mm. at that time. So I was like, this is a, this is a big move that I need to really take advantage of. Oh. So it felt like those people using it, was validating for you that yeah. this was a real deal? Exactly. Did you know it before then? Um, I would say I kind of did, like deep, deep down, but I was just having fun more than yeah. anything else with it. But oh. didn't you feel that deep down with the other three or four businesses where you were failing? Weren't it, wasn't it at some point something you felt determined was going to succeed or not the same way? It, it was something completely different. Wow. It was like no matter what happened, I felt like I could get through it with this business because- mm. I fully understood the problem I was solving because I had that problem. And I looked at it as if, if it fails, I'm going to be at the same position I'm at right now. And if anything, I solved my own problem. So I'm actually mm -hmm. ahead of the game mm -hmm. and the other businesses. I didn't love them. I didn't have fun. Mm. This one, I had the, the funnest time I ever have in my life. And it was so exciting. Wow. Even though you were sleeping under your printer and even though you're working long hours, it didn't feel yeah. It, wow. It doesn't feel like mm -hmm. work. So when you decided, well, you've just said that having big name clients isn't all, you know, as, as big a deal as you'd expect. There's still other kinds of marketing, right? Yeah. So you can build a better mousetrack. The world will not beat a path to your door. That's the old saying that they will, but it won't without marketing. So what are some things you did as you were launching this product that you think worked well for marketing? 
So what we did is we actually just threw out a giant net of testing as many target audiences as we could and saw what ads started working, um, where people were interacting on. And Mm. then we started narrowing down that audience. And um, our Glenn, our CMO, does the same thing. She casts very wide net. And then once we start finding the ads that work, that's when we start pumping money behind it. Mm. Because we still are in that startup phase. We need to make every dollar go as far as possible. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole of spending $10,000 on online ads when it's not generating revenue. Yeah. So the best way is go test 200 bucks and watch the interactions. Yeah. And then that can determine right away what's working and what's not working. Did you have a marketing person on board at that time? Uh, No, I actually taught myself how to do it. Yeah. So what's that like, that process of, I mean, that's so time consuming, isn't it? A lot of reading, especially nowadays because the algorithms change so quickly and it's super fun though. Cause everything's changing so fast. It's just staying ahead of the curve and being willing to read and learn and apply what you're learning and you're going to fail at it, but yeah, you'll yeah. keep testing it and making it work. So you've got to put, so now you're, you've gone from manufacturing and managing shipping and all that, which takes a long time. So now you're trying to read up on digital marketing and that's got to take four or five or six or 10 hours a day, right? How did you, did you have to readjust like how, where you put your time and energy? Yeah, it was very weird because I had friends that were working nine to fives yeah. and I was working 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. every night, if not later. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's always a weird change. Um, I think for founders is your hours are so much different than everyone, than anyone else's. And it seems like you're not doing anything, but you're doing so much more. Yeah. I, I, uh, I had a business where I went back retroactively and looked like how many hours am I working? And there were hours, there were weeks for over a hundred hours. People like 120 hours. How can you do that? Well, it's because you're you know, up at three and four in the morning doing stuff. Right. I mean, it just, you have to. Yeah. Like I just, last week I've worked probably close to 120 hours. Oh, like, yeah, you sleep eight, you work 18 hours and you sleep six if you're lucky and you have to do other stuff. Like I'll go to the gym, but I'm on the phone the entire time at the gym working. Like I'll walk my dog phone calls doing that. You have to figure out how to get squeeze 18 hours out. It's really difficult. Yeah. Um, and yet you just have to, right? I mean, your staff is still small, right? Yep. And how many people do you have? So we're at four right now, four people. And this year I told them the lead in that last year did 850,000 in sales this year, expecting close to 6 million. That's massive. And with four, well, now you probably, by the end of the year, you'll have more than four people I expect, but yeah, we will, but still, and now you're looking for funding. Yeah. So we just finished our, um, our seed plus round of funding where we just raised a million dollars, but we're growing so quickly. We have to open up a bridge round, um, to keep up with the growth and we're releasing another product on top of the cryo sleeve this year. Yeah. And talk about, in fact, I think that's about where I am in this, uh, in this, because I've watched a lot of shark tank. I find it entertaining. And one of the big questions these experts always ask is, okay, you've got a product. So what are you going to do? And, and you've answered that, right? Yeah. With this product called CryoSleeve. Talk about that and, and the, initial, the initial outcomes of sales for that product. Yeah. So Natalie, our COO, she deserves all the credit for it. She took this thing from start to finish, getting the partnership with Boa and all of that. And we've done over 30, or right around $30,000 in a week of sales of yeah. pre-launch. And I think that shows that branding that we built for a year and a half of pro athletes and allowing people to come in mm-hmm. and purchase and yeah. giving us that faith. Cause we didn't do Kickstarter. We didn't do any of yeah. that. We wanted to test it out with our customers and give them the best deal. 
not random mm-hmm. people. Like you always got to get back to the customers. So does it feel like uh, you reached out to your existing customer base? Does it feel, or do they feel like you're providing them with a new inside track on something great new before the whole market gets it. I mean, is that part of this offering? Yeah, exactly. And same with the pro athletes too. Like we said, like the pro, hmm. like we already had Bradley Chubb, check it out. Uh, hmm. Justin Simmons, um, Brandon Marshall, the old linebacker here that's over yeah. at Oakland now. Yeah. They all tested out. They're like, we love this product. Wow. And so we just took the model of what we did with the cryosphere and applied it to the cryo sleeve to see if it works. Well, and what's so cool about this, so that you partnered with BOA Technology. I want to talk about that. Yeah, you know, listeners, you probably know about BOA. That's the dial, the dial tightening system, uh, performance fit uh, system that BOA has created and patented and owns now worldwide. And you reached out to them or your chief operating officer did and said, we'd like to use this in our product. How does that go? Um, it was very, it was very stressful to see if they would say yes, because it was, it They're was, careful. Yeah, it was a lot of prototyping, switching up the prototypes. Um, we actually went to an old BOA engineer hmm. to f- figure out how to make everything work so we could get the approval from there. And Natalie went through all of this process, and she got it done. And it's r- a really cool system that we're applying in a different way because it's – they're used on a lot of med devices yeah. and we're their first consumer recovery product to you mm. to introduce their technology. Well, that's so cool because I know Bo well enough to know that once, once you're in the door, they're not going to partner with a bunch of other companies, right? Exactly. As long as you perform. Yeah. And you, you enhance their brand as they enhance yours. Yeah, exactly. And they love the fact that we can bring in those pro athletes to use the products, mm. um, all of that type of stuff. And it's a market that they're not in yet. They're in the med device, but not the consumer recovery side. And it's so cool to have them. Yeah. They're literally our neighbor. They're like four blocks away from us. Yeah, cool. And it's so great to just have such an amazing company willing to work with a startup here yeah. that's growing that, that helped change a lot of our stuff. That's cool. Well, and I think about, though, you know, I think about these uh, braces that you could buy wherever Walgreens and stuff, these neoprene things. How can you possibly have one product that fits a pro athlete's leg and, you know, a ballet dancer's leg? Do you have different sizes? You must yeah. have different sizes. Okay. But yeah. that was actually a big struggle that we just um, we just went through was figuring out the sizing. We had sizes 1 through 10. Um, That's too much inventory, isn't it? Exactly. On the uh, in- inventory, the supply chain side, that gets hectic really quick. So we mm-hmm. soon realized that. And so we're our, we already figured out the new redesign to combine the sizes going from 10 down to four. Mm. And so it stretches a lot more and it yeah. fits and it's pretty, and that saved us a lot of time. That's why this prototyping and yeah. like back to the very beginning of run small quantities to yeah. figure out what is wrong because you don't know because manufacturing process is so much different from a prototype you need to actually run it and see what's wrong and see how the materials work and if they can design it yeah. these certain ways. So how much did you, but, but I'm going to come back to that question in a second. First, I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Matt Hyder of Recoup Fitness. That's recoupfitness.com. Yep. And uh, they're the maker of the cryosphere and now the cryo sleeve. Go to proco360.com to subscribe to my news letter, read my blog, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. Also, please rate Proco360 in your app. Your ratings make a huge difference. So getting back to this uh, the sizing and all the things you had to do for cryo sleeve. now, how many did you produce to begin with? I mean, you've now, like, you feel confident. 
right? Uh, so does that create, does that affect how much you're willing to put on order to begin with? Yeah. So it did. We first did, we first thought we were going to run like 10,000 units, but then we realized with the sizing issue, this is going to be, we don't want to be sitting on excess inventory. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why we went through a lot of the sizing and all the testing and the redesign. So we're able to execute on those people that have pre-ordered, get them mm-hmm. the product. Um, we're doing a lot of different algorithms going out and testing like people that send us their sizes. Hmm. We go out and test them on people that mimic their sizing Yeah, and yeah. seeing what that's like and actually getting real feedback. And so that's like how we were able to solve the problem in the very beginning. So this, this, but the first order to the insiders, they, you had 10 sizes for them. Yep. So now you had a, del- did you deliver if somebody had a seven, eight, a nine, a 10, did you deliver all those sizes in the first wave? Yeah, we did actually oh, for this wow. one. So that, that's why we so ran. had to suck it up and do yeah. that and now figure it out a better way. Exactly. And wow. so it's, but it's a fun process though of learning it before you put a lot, a lot of money behind stuff yeah. where that's where I think you can sink consumer product goods is mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of companies that have done this. They order so many different sizes and colors yeah. and SKUs. But that's why we wanted to get the sizing, getting seeing where our customers are at, yeah. and then being able to fix the product and lower it on our side so we can fix that supply chain. Wow. It sounds like you know what you're doing now. Uh, I would say it's, we'll say it's 50% that and just yeah. a lot of hard work and yeah. research and just always trying to learn and become better. Do you have advisors helping you with these kinds of things? Yeah, we have some amazing advisors behind us. Are they your investors as well? Yes, they are. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so as we kind of go, you know, deeper in this conversation. I, I've seen your past interviews and I know these sort of things about you, the, you know, you barely made it through high school, big 1.9 <laughs> GPA. Yep. You know, you failed. We talked about you failing multiple times. You developed this prototype for eight bucks and stuff. But what, what don't you get to talk about in the depth that you find interesting? Um, I think it was probably what I'm going through right now of going from, a founder to a CEO. Hmm. It is a huge jump. Um, It's a very, very stressful jump. And I've lost 500 plus thousand dollars of investment because I wasn't a CEO. I was still a founder. It was still so new. What's that mean? What, how does the difference make you lose $500,000? Cause I think as a founder, you're so excited about innovation and pushing that. Um, You don't learn the real business side of everything of, Balance sheets, P&Ls, your cash flow statements, especially with consumer Mm. product goods, because inventory eats up a lot of your cash. That's where the majority of our cash goes. Mm -hmm. How to work with banks, how to deal with investors, how to get loans, and like the whole flow of cash. And then watching how everything is, all right, so if we can move, if we can get our supply chain to only put 30% down instead of 50%, and then move it to net 30 from when it ships, we can actually have a few days to sell the product Mm. to pay for it. It's like mm-hmm. all the very strategic business side of things that you don't really know as a founder hmm. that I'm learning a lot of and I have some great hmm. mentors helping. Wow. Out. Well, you know, it's you use the term CEO and founder and you've still got just four employees. Yeah. So did you have to make that mindset to CEO with only four employees though? I mean, people are like, it's only four employees. What's the difference? Um, I would say it's a lot. I don't even like to consider myself a CEO yet because I still have so much more to go, so much more to learn. Um, And it's just the phase that I'm in because I think CEO is a term that everyone throws around a lot, but they don't understand the true depths of it, of understanding how everything works, not even just numbers, 
products, but how people work together. Like we're going through the brand new hiring process. No one's taught us how to scale a business. Mm -hmm. There's no book out there. You can read all the books in the world. How do you scale a business? It, it doesn't help because you're, it's not your business and every business scales differently. Mm -hmm. And part of that is how do you keep your company culture? How, like, what is your company culture? And it's tying Are you big to, enough to have a company culture yet. I would say so. We, we hold each other very accountable mm-hmm. of like, we get into arguments here and there, but it's open communication. Like, like they know that they can talk to me know about anything. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll sit down and talk about it. And I think you have to build that. You have to build that with those core people mm-hmm. before you can expand it out. If yeah, you don't have yeah. it there, how do you expect yeah. to grow and scale from 10 employees to 20 to 50? Yeah. If you four can't get that together, can you even pause long enough in a day to have a meaningful conversation? We do in the mornings. Um, yeah. <laughs> we all work very, very, very long hours, yeah. but we always try to take a break and we always do like a company lunch. We always try to do stuff mm-hmm. together um, differently just so we can keep like getting to know each other more and building those relationships. Yeah. yeah it'll be interesting um, for you. I would, I, you know, again, in my business experience, when I had like four employees, six employees, I made more money. I had more fun. And when you get to 10 and 20 and 20, I ended up selling at 25, but it's like people want, all of a sudden now they want job descriptions. They want structure. They want to know who's doing what. I'm like, just keep doing stuff, but it's different. Yeah, it is. And like, we're already seeing that now. Yeah. Of this is more, because I think with four of us in the very beginning, um, when we were doing like 850,000 was we were all doing like little jobs outside of like our specialties. Yeah. But now that we're specializing on all of these things. That's where I think a lot of our growth has come from as well Mm -hmm. is we're using our superpowers and like, we're scaling it of, okay, what don't we like to do slash what takes up most of our time that we can hire for that allows us to focus on what we're really, really good at. So you're ramping up now and you see all these crazy movies about guys like you who, you know, were not succeeding and all of a sudden succeed. And then they just go crazy. Their heads explode. They get become egomaniacs and uh, they start doing drugs. So, so, <laughs> so, so how, what are you doing to stay grounded in all this? Um, honestly, just focusing on my health. Um, like I got like last year when we had that growth, cause we did half a million dollars in 19 days. Mm. So I was working a lot. Oh wow, um, yeah. So I let myself go and just trying to stay healthy now yeah. is a big thing. And plus two, I'm surround like I hang out with a good amount of athletes mm. and I'm a nobody compared to them. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's it's I love what I'm doing. Like I don't really care about the awards. Like I just made success 30 under 30. And mm. instead of having a big party, I want to just go out with my team. Like that yeah. to me means so much more. And I think it's you're creating something that makes the world better. Like you shouldn't get an award. You shouldn't have a big mm. ego about it. And with me, it's not about money. It's about the creation, the innovation of how do I change the world? I'm going to do it by creating it. And it's a long, it's a long journey, but never too good for anyone. I always mm. treat everyone the exact same. That's cool. Uh, keeping focused on the the theme of Proco 360 podcast, world-class entrepreneurs who choose Colorado. What have you found about the Colorado entrepreneurial environment? I love it. It's super welcoming here. Um, I think there's a lot, people are always pushing innovation, um, especially going to dealing with investors from like New York, for example, mm. it is so cutthroat of like, you need to have these few things. Like it's not really helping. It's when do I get my return? Mm-hmm. But here though, it's okay. I'm going to be your investor. But I'm going to help you out. I'm going to mm. help you grow this business. I want to get cool. hands involved. 
Um, and then two, the, just the whole founder community is super, um, interconnected and everyone always helps out everyone. Um, uh, I met, just met my friend, Sam who started groove shark. So mm. he, it was before Pandora, all of that. Mm. And he ended up losing his business because of all the record labels, but him and I talk about that and like support system through that way. And I don't think you really find that anywhere else. Mm. Like we did accelerators in New York and it was so much different out there. It was who's going to be the best business, super cutthroat. Yeah. And Colorado's just not like that. It's let's all achieve this success and these goals together. And it's a cool, it's a really cool culture that I think you just built it through like, as built through the people here. That's cool. So as you, as you reflect back in the last couple of years, you've obviously learned some things. Um, I had a, um, a really successful uncle who said, well, you've never really learned anything until you do it right the next time. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what do you think you've learned to do right the next time that makes you really proud? Um, I'll apply it to what we're going through now is raising money. Hmm. Um, cause I definitely messed up before. Like, like I said, I lost easily half a million dollars of investment, not getting my act together. And now we have it all. Like I learned from all of those mistakes of, getting our due diligence that just got deleted. <laughs> That's uh, a different story he was talking about before he came in the studio. Yeah. What? Yeah. Um, so getting the due diligence correctly, how to tell the story through the numbers, um, how to paint the picture of our growth and where we're going and budgeting. And I didn't do all this before. I didn't understand how to talk to investors and I've learned, I learned through failing and I have my entire life. And I think that's the best lesson is, learning how to raise money now and yeah, going through that yeah. process again. Cause I failed before mm -hmm. I'm not going to make the same mistakes this yeah. time. I'm going to make them way better. And it's already turning out to go a lot better than the last raise. That's cool. It's a good example too of, of uh, I think learning through failure, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and, and really people say you, you can learn from getting things right, but yeah, not so much. It's mostly you learn by fix by learning the hard way. Yeah, exactly. I think learning the hard way is it's definitely tough. And you have to have a lot of perseverance through yeah. it, but those are the lessons that will stick with you forever. And then you just, you'll never yeah. do those mistakes again. Does it help to be single through this whole process? Um, I would say a little bit. I actually lost, um, a girlfriend during this process huh. because dating a founder is very, very difficult yeah. of work comes first. Um, when you work 120 hours a week, you don't have time to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. um, but being single lately has been a lot easier. <laughs> dating's been yeah. dating's been very fun and hectic. Yeah, but it's but I'm not committed to anyone, and yeah. so yeah. being single helps out with that. Well, normally I don't end, end an interview uh, talking about being single, but I guess we will today. So so uh, I'm going to wrap up. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. And today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Matt Hyder of Recoup Fitness. Thanks, Matt. This is, you know, this has been such a quintessential story of a, of a startup. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's, it's a lot of fun. That's for sure. Good for you. And, and it has been fun. Listeners, thanks for joining me on ProCo 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the ProCo 360 podcast and submitting a review. Thanks again to show sponsors, MicroStar Keg Logistics, Community Banks of Colorado, Kinsley Meetings, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. And final thanks to Mike, my engineer here at 3rd and James Studios. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado. <laughs>